If you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, uh, we'll get into uh, our time of teaching in the Word this morning as we continue the journey in the Gospel um, according to Mark. I'm excited to uh, be here with you. It's been uh, really kind of rare. I've had a couple of weeks where um, really off from teaching, and it's been good for me. I'm thankful for uh, the, the celebration we had uh, last week, what a wonderful time together as a church family. And then two weeks ago, Greg Hook uh, speaking for me around the story of John the Baptist. We'll pick up this morning right where Greg left off two weeks ago. So we'll start Mark 6, verse 30. It's the famous story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Uh, the famous story. Most people, even the uh, barista at um, Starbucks this morning, she's like, what are you doing here so early? I get to Starbucks at 6.30 and look through my notes every Sunday. And I was like, well, I'm a pastor and, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm just going to go through my notes. And she goes, what are you teaching on the feeding of the 5,000? She's like, oh, yeah, famous story. I'm like, yeah, it is famous story. But I think sometimes uh, around famous stories that we get familiar with, uh, perhaps we... Um, miss an opportunity to find something fresh. And so I just would say that uh, at the beginning, very familiar, very famous story uh, that you would lean in perhaps in a fresh way. Perhaps the Lord would have something new and fresh uh, for you and a story that you've known uh, probably for many years. There are two specific miracles that are recorded in all four gospels, only two one is the resurrection of Jesus, the, the foundation, the very hope of our faith. And the other is, guess what? Feeding of the 5,000. The resurrection of Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000, the only two miracles recorded in all four Gospels. And so I wanted to say this at the start to help us lean in so that we can learn and grow. It's obviously a very important story uh, for us because the Holy Spirit had led the gospel writers to include it in all four gospel stories. Before we get into the story, I want to remind you of something we've been talking a lot about since the very beginning of the Mark series. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about this at the opening of the series, and it's this statement that discipleship, the process of learning and growing and maturing in our faith, is a process. It's not a straight line. Uh, we take some steps forward. We take some steps back. There are highs and lows. We, we learn things. We make mistakes. We learn from those mistakes. We, we grow. We, we get afraid. All, all of that reality is true. Discipleship, transformation, spiritual growth is a process, and we'll see that process unfold in some fresh ways for us today. If we think back, we look back on Mark. Jesus has surrounded himself with 12 disciples in his mission. Jesus is on mission. And the mission is this, the proclamation that Jesus is the Christ. The mission is a proclamation that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the savior of the world. The mission is to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand because Jesus, the son of God, has come for us. That's the mission, and he is including and calling to himself these 12 disciples. And so as we've walked through each chapter up to this point, Jesus has modeled lots of things, taught lots of things, modeled lots of things to his disciples. He has given him his authority. Twice, it, uh, already there's 
two, two different times when Jesus, when Mark tells us that Jesus has given his authority to the disciples to minister, to do what he is doing, to minister the kingdom. And so the disciples, they have seen miraculous things. They have done miraculous things. Their faith has been tested. Remember in Mark 4, the the storm on the Sea of Galilee, they were deeply afraid. They were tested, and Jesus says, where's your, where's your faith? They had struggled there. They had faced rejection in their own ministry, ministering to people and people rejecting them. They had faced their own rejection. They had faced tragedy. They had walked through grief and suffering. Discipleship is a process. The passage right before this, it says that the disciples, when John the Baptist was beheaded, that the disciples are the ones that went and got the body of John the Baptist and buried him. So all these things they had experienced and learned. They had been on a mission trip of their own. Jesus had empowered them in ministry and he had sent them out two by two. That was in Mark 4, 7. And it was finally for them some time to rest, to come away with Jesus, to get alone with God, to get alone with themselves, to get alone with Jesus, and to have a retreat with Jesus, away from the crowds and away from the busyness of ministry, to share some stories, to sit around a campfire and share some stories of their mission and what they had been doing, to rest and to regroup. This is where Mark 6.30 Begins this morning. I'll start reading in verse 30. The apostles, the 12 apostles, they returned to Jesus, returned from when he had earlier in Mark 6 sent them out two by two to go and proclaim the gospel. And so they're returning from that trip to Jesus, and Jesus told, and they told Jesus all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. That is a busy ministry season. There's so much happening, so many needs, so much to do that they didn't even have a chance to take a lunch break, not even space to get away and have some leisure to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place, by themselves. The physical context here is the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel, where two-thirds of Jesus' ministry happened in the three or so years where Jesus was ministering before his death and resurrection. And so they're at the Sea of Galilee area, and it says that they were going away in the boat. Has you notice that? It doesn't say a boat. It says the boat. I don't know what the boat means, but some of the disciples were fishermen, and I would, I would believe that this was probably one of the boats that they owned, perhaps even the boat that was on the Sea of Galilee when the storm came in Mark 4 and Jesus calms the storm, probably one of the boats that one of the disciples owns. And I'm sure, I'm, I'm thinking, I've been in pastoral ministry for 20 years, and I know what it is to be busy and to, um, to serve and to give and 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 to have, have a lot of stuff to do and not a whole lot of time to rest. And so uh, I, I am sure in reading this story that these disciples were really, really glad 
about some time away together and some time just with Jesus away from all the crowds. I'm sure that they were so elated and so needy of it. And the story continues in verse 33. Now many saw them, many people saw Jesus in the boat with the disciples pushing away from shore. Many saw them going and they recognized him. That's Jesus and the disciples. And they ran there on foot from all of the towns and they got there ahead of them. Oh, snap, on the retreat. R&R retreat, we're going to a desolate place. People saw them and they, they beat them there. Now, having been to Israel this past summer, I can tell you that I'm sure that they saw the people running. When you see, if you're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and you see thousands of people running along the shore. You will see them. You will probably hear them from, one of, from the side of the Sea of Galilee. You can look all the way over and see the other shore. I don't think you could hear what's going on all the way across the other side. But I think you could see thousands of people moving. If they were somewhere in the middle of the lake, they would have seen it, they probably would have heard it, and I can pre I'm pretty sure, I don't know this, but I'm pretty sure they weren't too overly thrilled about thousands of people beating them to their retreat. Because if I'm going on a personal retreat to get some R&R &R and some rest, I'm not overly thrilled if I get there and there are thousands of people waiting on me there. And so I'm pretty sure they weren't overly thrilled about this. This was an obvious disruption, hear this, to their plan. This, this situation was a, a disruption to the disciples' plan and to their need, their legitimate need to rest and to their delight in getting some uninterrupted time with Jesus. You've probably been there. You've probably been there in your life. I I think that we don't have to work too hard to sense maybe their frustration or their tension with this situation. You've been going hard for a while. It's time for a day off. And then some unforeseen situation, some unplanned situation happens and you're gonna lose your vacation. You're gonna lose your day off. It's not going to happen for you. And in your mind and in your heart, perhaps out of your words, that this is not the way this is supposed to be. I'm sure you can relate. Perhaps you've had a relational plan to be away with someone or uh, there's a financial plan to have something unfold in a way that's uh, helpful or beneficial to you. There's this plan for your future or a plan for your present and that plan whatever it is and you need that plan it gets interrupted and it gets disrupted by something unforeseen and in frustration we say this is not the way this is supposed to go I, I believe that's where the disciples were the people running, they beat them there. They, they, they come up on shore. I don't know what the conversations were on the boat leading up to that, but I would assume that as Jesus steps out of the boat, they are thinking, oh good, he's going to send them away so that we can have our retreat. It was his idea in the first place. He's the one that said, let's go away. Desolate place, rest. So he's gonna disperse the crowd. 
But that's not what happens. Verse 34, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. He doesn't send them away. He gets out of the boat and then he begins to have compassion on the crowd and then he begins to teach them, it says, many things. It's like the long-winded preacher. Is the guy, I mean, is the guy ever gonna stop talking? Is the gal ever gonna stop talking? Like, how many things is the teacher gonna say here? I mean, this is a lot of stuff. I mean, let me simplify the message a little bit, preach, you know? Many things, many things. It says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion, I think compassion is the word of the morning. It means to have your heart stirred, to have your heart moved. Like the the heart of Jesus, the Son of God, the compassion, the heart is stirred to the great need of the thousands of people that were there. Think, don't think sympathy, think empathy. His heart, the heart of Jesus was stirred. Did you know that sheep have a very seen, a very keen sense of emotion? They're very emotionally needy animals, sheep. This was a very needy bunch of people. They had a lot of emotional baggage. Sheep without a shepherd and Jesus had compassion. Did you know that sheep can't take care of themselves? They need a shepherd to take care of their physical needs, their emotional needs and their physical needs. Jesus saw the great crowd and he had compassion. He was empathetic. His heart was stirred. Sheep were lost, they have no guide, they need need a protector. Jesus, compassion, compassion, true compassion always leads to action. Like true, genuine compassion and empathy always leads to action. Sympathy doesn't always lead to action. We can be sympathetic with the situation or with the needs in front of us and we can feel sorry for for someone but we don't have to get engaged with it. Empathy is I'm feeling something with you. I am in this with you and true compassion always leads to action and the compassion of Jesus here was radical and it was costing the disciples something because of his compassion. His compassion led him to action, which is teaching them many things. The obvious reality of this narrative, this story, Jesus's response did not meet the expectations of the disciples. And I think they were a little irked. They're in the boat. Guys, we got to shut this down. We got to, it's getting late now. There's like thousands of people here. It's getting late. We gotta, we gotta disperse this thing. Like Jesus, we gotta, like, it's like in the back of, you know, if someone in the back, I see Josh back there. If I'm like, it's like 9.50. Josh might be like, get my attention and do this thing. Like land the plane, Swain, land the plane. You know what I mean? It's like too many things. Like we got places to go. We got people to see here. Who's gonna go tell Jesus to wrap this thing up? 
Verse 35, and it grew late and his disciples came to Jesus and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. They're exhorting Jesus. They're exhorting the son of God and they say, send them away. We're gonna tell you what to do with your compassion. Send them away. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages so that they can buy themselves something to eat. Escape plan. Escape plan for the disciples so that they can get back to their retreat. Escape plan. Let's get this back to the original plan to us getting some rest and time alone together. Let's send them away. It's getting late. They need to go eat. That's the escape plan. And then do you see the blame shifting here? That the disciples are wanting to use the people's needs. They're hungry, Lord. They're hungry. They need to, they need to go away. They're putting all of the responsibility on the people. And really what they're wanting is just the people to go away so they can get back to their retreat, their time alone with Jesus. They were hungry. The people were hungry and tired. They put all the responsibility on the people. And then Jesus' next response didn't meet their expectations again. Send them away so that they can go get something to eat. Verse 37, but Jesus answered them, will you give them something to eat? Right? Now, again, the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels is what we are working through today. I think there's something really significant for us to grab, maybe many things for us to grab onto today. They want Jesus to do something about this, send them away, and Jesus goes, you do something about it. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give, it, give them something to eat? I mean, excuses, like 200, a denarii is a day's wage. It's gonna cost over a half year's salary to feed all these people. Is that, Jesus, is, do you want us to go do that? I mean, can you sense the sarcasm in the question here? Shall we, shall we go to King Supers and, and use that? Yeah, yeah. The disciples send them away so that they can get something to eat. Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. John's gospel says, that Jesus did this to teach them, to test them, to teach them. Again, discipleship is a process. Here's a discipleship lesson, I think, for us. Perhaps a big part of the discipleship process is being careful with our expectations of how we think God is supposed to act or ought to act in a given situation. Perhaps we should be a little bit more careful about the box that we put God in about how he is supposed to act or respond to a given situation. The biblical truth here is this, Jesus's compassion is radical to the needs of people. And his heart is stirred to their needs. They wanted an escape plan. They blame shifted, send them away. And Jesus told them to do something here to which they said, we, don't, we can't do anything here. We don't have the time, we don't have the talents, we don't have the resources to meet this need. Does that sound familiar to anyone in the room? I, don't, I can't do anything about this. 
I don't have the time. I don't have the gifting. I don't have the money. I don't, I can't, I can't. What could we do about thousands of children being trafficked around the world? I don't have, I don't, right? Think about all of the powerful things that they had already seen Jesus do up to this point. If you just think about everything that they had seen Jesus do in the first five chapters of Mark, they had seen Jesus do miraculous, powerful things. Were they even engaging their faith in the power of God? Were they remembering the miraculous power of God, it seems that their focus, their focus was only on their inability and their lack of resources. So in a moment, there's this huge need and my focus turns to my lack. I can't do anything about this. I don't have the talent, time, or resources. And I, I get where they're coming from here. I'm not gonna just throw the disciples under the bus here. Discipleship is a process. I get where they're coming from here. Multi-thousands of people with nothing to eat. It's late and Jesus told them to give something to eat because in the natural realm, this is an impossible situation to solve. Jesus says, you, you give them something to eat. Thousands of people in the natural, that's impossible. And Jesus is inviting them to believe in the supernatural, that with God, all things are possible. Only God can truly do something here. And what is remarkable to me in this is that Jesus is empowering them to believe and to participate with him in the miraculous. There is an empowerment of God to bring disciples along, to give them authority and to participate in the miraculous as we trust him with our limited resources and our limited time and our limited this and our limited that and all the excuses that we make. He empowers us in the gospel and he said to them, verse 38, how many loaves do you have? We don't. It would take over a year's worth of salary to go and buy food. We don't have anything. How many loaves do you guys have? What do you have? What do we have here? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five loaves and two fish. Now, Mark's gospel just says five loaves and two fish. But if you read the story in John's gospel, it tells you that they found this one little boy, right? If you know the story, one little boy, who had a sack lunch, which I go, his mom was a baller. <laughs> Thousands of people, they're running on the shore. This one little boy who, by the way, wasn't even counted in the number. It's 5,000 men, a little boy. He wasn't even counted in the number. They found one little dude and his mom packed him two fish and five loaves because he's running out the door. And she goes, don't forget your lunch, honey. Right? And that's what they have, discipleship lesson. Trust Jesus with what you have, not with what you don't have. Trust Jesus with what you have. He can take a limited resource and resource thousands. He can take what you have and use it to abundance. Stop thinking about what you don't have. Stop thinking about your lack. Stop thinking about 
well, in comparison to this or comparison to that or this person, just, just receive what God has given you and put it in the hands of Jesus and see the miraculous work that Jesus can do with what you have. Start where you are, church. Start right where you are. You don't have to start where you're not. Nobody's asking you to start where you're not. Jesus just says, what do you have? Start with what you have and start with where you are. Verse 39, and then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. Jesus didn't have the thousands of people sit down on rocks. He didn't have them sit down on the path. He had them sit down on, did you catch what it says? Sit down on what? Green grass. I think that's significant. He had them sit down on the green grass. Jesus is the good shepherd. They're like sheep without a shepherd. A good shepherd doesn't take hungry sheep to sit in a rocky terrain or in a path terrain. He takes and leads his sheep to green grass. The provision of the shepherd leading the sheep to green grass. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You ever make the connection with feeding of the 5,000 to Psalm 23? Perhaps not, but you did today because I just made the connection for you. Green pastures, green grass, good shepherd, provision of God. Also note that he had them sit down. I think this is significant too. He had them sit down in smaller groups, smaller flocks, smaller communities, and groups of 50 and groups to 100 on the green grass. Provision is not just food in their bellies. Provision is having a sense of belonging with people. That I'm not alone, that I, that I, that I have table fellowship with a smaller group of people. You can get lost in a group of 5,000 plus. You can get lost in a room of 200 and I think this is pretty significant about the importance that there's a knowing and being known in the community of faith that we have table fellowship with each other. Jesus breaks the crowd into these smaller groups of people, into groups of belonging. Psalm 23 again, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There's something about table fellowship, isn't there? There's something about table fellowship eating, being together, enjoying a meal, the conversation, the stories, the connection, the belonging. And then the miracle happens. Jesus takes the scarce resources that they had and he fed thousands of people that day. Hear this, through the agency of the disciples, Jesus wasn't going around to the groups and giving the food. The disciples were giving the food. Again, the empowerment of ministry that Jesus gives his disciples to participate in the miraculous. 
The provision of the meal was happening, certainly the miraculous work of God to take this little sack lunch and multiply it, certainly miraculous, but the actual provision to the bellies of the people was happening because the disciples were the the ones serving the food. Discipleship lesson. I think Jesus perhaps is helping us know we tend to focus on our lack instead of on his grace, mercy, love, and power. I think the discipleship lesson here is Jesus saying, trust me with what you have and I'll take care of the rest. Trust me with what you have and I'll take care of the rest. The story closes, verse 42, and they all ate and all were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets. I think that's significant that there were 12 baskets left over. They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Scholars believe it was 15 to 20,000 people total. They all ate and all were satisfied. Each disciple got to take home a big basket of leftovers. There's there's always more in the kingdom of God. You can't outgive God. You cannot. Christ did not just meet the needs here on this day. He lavished them. The compassion was radical. Psalm 23, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. My 12 baskets full of leftovers. The grace of God shatters our pint-sized expectations of who God is and what he does in his compassion. And our lack, our lack can become his bounty of provision to people when we bring him what we have and we offer it to Jesus. Do you believe that? Only four miracle, only, only one miracle other than the resurrection in all four gospels, and it's this one. I want to close with just some thoughts to consider about maybe why, why this miracle? Why this miracle, the only one in addition to the resurrection in all four gospels? Just some things for you to consider. Jesus is our rest. Get away by yourself to be with Jesus and rest a while. We talk about this, that the gospel is not working for rest, but working from rest. Jesus is rest. Psalm 23, again, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Jesus is our rest. Jesus is full of compassion. Come under this compassion, church, in your life, the compassion of Jesus. Check your shame, check your toxic guilt at the door. 
come under the radical compassion of God to, to be transformed by the way you think about how God views you and to be transformed by how you understand and believe how God views other people. Like come under the compassion of God for yourself, but come under the compassion of God so that you can be a person, a conduit of that compassion to other people as well. Isaiah 54, with everlasting love, I have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Jesus is our good shepherd. Spend some time in John 10, write this down, go. Spend some time, uh, journal in John 10, read John 10. Spend some time in John chapter 10. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Compassion, true compassion leads to action and it's costly. Jesus laid his life down so that we could have life. Jesus is our good shepherd. Jesus empowers us to minister alongside of him. Discipleship is a gift of his grace to learn and to grow and to be transformed, positions us to minister as disciples of Christ, as ministers, as missionaries, as people who operate with care and compassion to people. Again, in Mark 6, he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Jesus empowers us to minister alongside him in the mission. Jesus takes what we have and he multiplies it by his power. Again, Jesus said, you give them something to eat. How many loaves do you have? And I believe that our faith is strengthened as we participate in kingdom ministry, seeing God be resourceful with my perceived limited resources. That our faith is strengthened when God takes our resources and multiplies it to bless people. Lastly, Jesus satisfies our hunger to overflowing. To overflowing. And they all ate and were satisfied. God is able, God is able to be resourceful with what we have, and He is able by His grace and His power to cause it to overflow by His compassion, by His power. Bring me what you have and have faith in me, and my compassion and my power will take it from here. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, there are many things for us to consider in this famous story. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would continue to awaken our spirit, our hearts, our minds, that we would be stirred by your compassion, that we would be stirred by your, by your love, by your power, by your empowerment to our lives. I pray first and foremost, Lord, that each person in this room would come under the lavish, overflowing compassion that you have for us. And that, Lord, out of that would stir us such a place of gratitude and joy that we would desire to be conduits of your compassion to people in our lives. We bless your name. We worship you now. 
we come to the Lord's table in faith now. We bring offerings of worship to you now. We respond now to your living word. In Jesus' name, amen.